Order. Friedrich Nietzsche said it so beautifully. There must be chaos so that a star can be born. According to this, we would be right to expect the largest, most beautiful star from our lives and work, for here the requisite chaos is very well developed indeed. Order is always something of a miserable thing. It cannot help but fail in the face of inevitability, ensuring novelties, the alternative being a crudely conceived world where we can ensure that every new thing resembles something earlier. In our attempt to order the world, we admit we lack the power to conceive of the world in its entirety and that we are prepared to content ourselves with a certain crudeness. Industrial work, the building of our streets, bridges, houses, furniture and so forth is always to some extent crude work, so order is particularly applicable or necessary to it. Order is most effectively shaped through uniformity and just as industrial work requires order to prosper, so it also requires uniformity. A deliberately uniform work brings our more refined formative forces into operation. In the case of something completely new, these forces fail. Therein lies the blessing which the recognition of order or uniformity has for all simple abilities. In order to cope with the world, or in order to recognise it when dealing with uniformity, it is necessary to concentrate our senses on the finer details. For example, a shepherd who seeks to differentiate between the sheep and his large grey flock will find it necessary to note minute differences which vary the appearance of the individual sheep, and he is able to do so. Because we are not shepherds, all sheep look the same to us, our eyes blunted to any refinements. However, uniformity partially shapes the senses. We have to feel a lot of similar things if we are to recognise fine differences between them and therein lies a limitation corresponding to that which is contained in order. The more we recognise the uniformity of our work and the less we require our work to be entirely new, the more refined will it become in its formation. In the same way, the similarity of men's clothing allows us to be aware of their refinements. This is true of men's clothing to a far greater extent than it is of women's, where refinements in terms of the cut, the tailoring, the choice of colour and so forth are extremely rare. The rapidly changing differences of the overall work means a rare ability is required for refinements beyond the necessary whole to be attained. In addition to considering the great economic potential for industrial work, we would also like to point out the greater potential entailed by a recognition of uniformity. Imagine setting apart the essential recurrent aspects of the design of a house and doing without any of the individual specialties that characterise our various dwellings and different domestic layouts so as to make just a few types of house. The material benefits that this procedure would create would be immense. How much would a box of matches cost if each box was shaped in accordance with some new architectural design? In our collective consciousness, we have already gone a long way towards creating such things. The idea of extensive uniformity in industrial work is not as extreme as it might at first seem in the midst of today's prevailing disorder. Earlier works are a good testament to equality and prove that it is possible on practical terms. Uniformity does exist in our works today. For instance, the standard dimensions of I-beams for carpenters and joiners timber, the uniform measurement of screws and nails and other small pieces of equipment. We find it in tools, soap dishes, cutlery, door and window frames, electric light bulbs, in trains and railway coaches, and particularly in all our military equipment. We could not say that such uniformity was a source of great concern. 
In strong, healthy work, refinements are never of immediate significance. Equally, they are not important in devising a means of production, though uniformity necessarily develops our sense of refinements. We recognise uniformity first and foremost for its simplicity and usefulness, as in tram carriages, which are uniform because if they were produced differently, they would cost more. A received uniform stunts development. Once we have a uniform, it is not easy to shrug it off. It stands witness to its own right of existence and rarely provokes criticism. For example, tram carriages do not inspire us to find fault with them. They seem to be self-evidently correct even in their appearance, although they are quite conspicuous within a street. This is the effect that uniforms have on our sensibilities and probably ensures their continued existence, even more than the economic advantages being the original reason for their development. So we often find that seemingly insurmountable difficulties stand in the way of desire and ability, perhaps rendering the latter totally unproductive. But there is no alternative. We cannot determine one form of living and working in which all productive and formative energies are totally effective. Even the best means we can devise will reach a self-limiting point. In the end, we always have the means in spite of it. The rich and powerful do not like to repeat. That is the way of common people. Now we are frequently of the opinion that strong repetition creates a paucity of expression, but it is not necessarily the case. Expressions produced by repetition can be very rich and strong in certain circumstances. For example, "'Tis all dark, tis all gloomy, while my love is not with me. I had thought she loved me, but no, but no, but no, but no, she hates me. The strong effect which this but no brings about could possibly be attained using some other words in an equally strong or even stronger manner. But here it should be noted that the repetition of the simplest form of negation touches not only very strong, but also very rich and complicated sensations. The phrase but no becomes something of a lament, something despairing through the simple use of repetition. As far as we're concerned with the means of expressing our sentiments, Industrial work offers the best or most comfortable means, but it is also very brittle and simple, so we will always need to call on repetition as a means of expressing strong or rich sentiments within it, perhaps like the singer who had only the simple but no to relate his lamentation and despair. There are no sentiments which we cannot express through industrial work. A house or a chair, for instance, can definitely express the happy, the sad, or the very happy, or the very sad, or the distinguished, or the thick-skinned. But as far as the means of expression are concerned, an individual brick or the leg of a chair is perhaps not so convenient. To this extent, we could go so far as to say that practically or effectively, we do not value the products of industry as a means of expression at all. To a proficient master craftsman, the appearance of his work must be very important. But were we to ask him to produce a chair which gave him the impression of being thick-skinned, then a dedicated cabinet maker would simply laugh at us. That is not only the case today, it has always been like this, even in the days when industrial products went far beyond the simply useful. The special expression that characterises every individual product has always arisen unconsciously. Amongst strong industrial products, it is only general sensations which find conscious expression in the products. This makes particular sense when we consider that in times of the most powerful industrial products, like the Middle Ages, the same forms and so the same overall expressions kept recurring. Powerful industrial products have never placed a high value on specialisation 
and today neither do we. But we are not in the least afraid of it, so our front doors always have something heavy about them, our reception room doors something light, and so on, with one expression always balancing and cancelling the next. So if possible, nothing remains which is to any extent pleasing or convincing. Even if we were to say but no ten times, it might have a lot of power, but it would not automatically have richness as well. The repetition will only have a richness if we strike something that is essentially correct with the first but no, as in the case of the song above. Hence, a strong uniform quality in our houses and our pieces of furniture is not just a good thing in itself. It is a question of repeating what is an essentially correct quality. Indeed, to achieve such a thing today is probably very difficult. What is important here is that we lose the fear we often have of order and repetition and the uniform per se when used in the domain of industrial products. There is no doubt that they belong to today's healthy and strong means of production. We fear the idiosyncratic amongst healthy industrial products, but not the familiar or the repetitive. In such cases, that is always obvious.